you're listening to iResearch Matters, the Fight for Sight podcast exploring the personal stories of those living with sight loss and the latest breakthroughs in iResearch. I'm Roisin Tracy and I'm the Media and Communications Officer at Fight for Sight. As it is Glaucoma Week this week, on today's show we'll be taking a deep dive into a new laser treatment for glaucoma, which was part-funded by Fight for Sight. Our guest today is Professor Gus Gazard. He's a consultant ophthalmologist and glaucoma service director at Moorfields Eye Hospital. Gus led this pioneering study, which is called the LIGHT trial. It's a treatment that has existed for quite some time, but it was being very much underutilised. And although we knew that it worked, we didn't know how well it worked or whether it was appropriate for new patients. The results of the trial could potentially improve the way glaucoma is treated across the world, and could also save the NHS up to £1.5 million per year in direct treatment costs for newly diagnosed patients. I met Gus in his office in London to discuss this trial, the future of his research and the challenges facing the sector. I began by asking him what first sparked his interest in ophthalmology. My interest in ophthalmology came from a long interest both as a kid and then as a medical student in vision, in sight, in um, the whole process of turning kind of light into the idea of the world around you. And so I always had an interest in that, even as an undergraduate. And so it was a natural step to then think about looking at ophthalmology when I was trying to choose what speciality I'd spend my life working in. My interest in glaucoma is uh, much more fortuitous. I was at a stage where I was looking for a research project. I was Um, interest in randomized controlled trials specifically and was very lucky because a project opportunity came up in Singapore and I was able to go to Singapore to run a very large randomized controlled trial of surgery for Professor Pankor and spent a very enjoyable productive two and a half years there and got to know a lot about uh, the the science behind glaucoma and so carried on carried on that interest when I came back into um, full-time clinical training and thereafter when I set up my own research projects. And for listeners who might not be familiar with glaucoma, can you explain exactly what it is? So glaucoma is specifically a disease of the nerve that takes all the information from the eye back into the seeing part of the brain. And that nerve can be affected by a lot of different diseases in many different ways. And glaucoma is one particular way in which that nerve can slowly degenerate. It's associated with raised pressure, but many people have normal pressure inside the eye. Uh, Normal pressure and high pressure glaucoma both benefit from having the pressure lowered. So a lot of our treatments are geared to lowering the pressure inside the eyeball, to improving the, the environment and therefore the health of the nerve as it leaves the eye. So the strange thing about glaucoma, and one of the fascinating things about it, is the way in which patients can lose really quite a lot of their nerve fibres, really quite a lot of vision, but without realising it. So it's sometimes colloquially called the sort of silent thief of sight because people think that they're getting a little older, they're getting a little more clumsy, but actually the reason is they've, they've started to lose their vision both in the periphery but also sometimes in the centre And the brain is very clever. It's too clever almost. It fills in those missing gaps. It tries to make sense of the information that it's missing by filling it in from the surrounding picture. So the patients don't see black splodges that are missing. They just are unaware that something is not there. 
So what is the time frame, we'll say, from the time somebody develops glaucoma to when they experience significant sight loss? That varies a lot depending on the individual, and it can be um, all the way from never. So some people with a very mild glaucoma will go for many years, even with a slow deterioration, and not reach the point at which it will start to hamper their activities or impair what they want to do. Other patients will deteriorate quite rapidly and notice a sudden deterioration over a period of months or one or two years. Those are quite extreme and that's rare. Those are usually patients that have extremely high pressure inside the eye and sometimes for other reasons. So glaucoma is the the final common pathway, the final end result of multiple different routes to the same disease. So there are many underlying causes. Depending on which of those causes is generating the problem, it determines quite how rapidly it progresses. I do have patients who've come in and said, I've got worse over the last year. And you look in and they've clearly had glaucoma for some time, but it's suddenly changed within that last 12 months. So you have successfully identified a laser-based treatment for people with their newly diagnosed glaucoma. Can you tell us about this research and what method you used? This laser treatment is not a, a new treatment that I devised. It's a treatment that has existed for quite some time. But it was being very much, well, I, I felt underutilised. And although we knew that it worked, we didn't know how well it worked or whether it was appropriate for new patients. And people weren't using it, so we set ourselves the target of trying to answer that question. What it does is, through a contact lens placed on the front of the eye, to very, very gently fire uh, some gentle laser, that's why it's called selective laser, trabecular plasty, to a tissue called the trabeculum, trabecular meshwork. And it generates a little bit of inflammation in that tissue. Uh, and what that does is, is attracts white blood cells into the tissue so that they then clear some of the blockage, some of the debris, and improve the health of that structure so that fluid can leave the eye more easily. And as a result, the eye pressure comes down. So for the patient, what that amounts to is they come in for a um, usually a single visit, uh, lens on the front of the eye, a five to ten minute almost entirely pain-free, some people say it's a little uncomfortable, but nothing much to worry about, treatment with some bright flashes of light, a checkup half an hour to 45 minutes later, and then they go home, and over the next few weeks, their pressure gradually uh, returns, hopefully, to normal, and low enough that they don't need eye drops. So I'm just wondering what the process was then for this research. Like, how long has it been in the works? The first original thoughts about whether we would start to look at this were many, many years ago. A decade ago, I was interested by and looking at trabeculoplasty. Sometime around about eight years ago, we we made the decision, took the leap to see if we could apply for funding and get funding for the study. The study itself, we wanted a long, a a decent period of follow-up. We needed at least three years to follow the patients to get the answers that we needed. In fact, we've extended that to six years now, but we need a lot of patients for the study, so we needed a couple of years to find those patients and recruit them. And it took, before that, uh, around a year and a half, two years of preparation and fundraising and writing the very precise protocols that are required in order to show that you can do the study properly. So in the end, I mean, that was seven, eight years ago that we first started talking about it and and a lot of work to get even to the starting point. And obviously, with many years of work like that, you need to be pretty certain that the question you're asking is, is a valid one, is an important one. So have we any idea then of a timestamp, we'll say, of when we might start seeing this as the normal treatment for glaucoma? I would hope that that would start to spread out into the general community um, as of last March when it was published. Certainly, uh, I've had a lot of very gratifying positive feedback from around the, from around the world where uh, colleagues in Australia, Canada, 
um, the United States and, and, and across Europe have said that they, this has now changed their practice. In the UK, there are a lot of funding constraints and there are a lot of limitations to buying lasers and changing the way in which we deliver care. But actually, one of the crucial findings from the study was not only does the laser treatment lower eye pressure, uh, at least as well as eye drops, but that it also seems to preserve vision better. And on top of that, it was cost-effective. It was more cost-effective than medications for a number of reasons. So we were able to prevent a number of surgical procedures being necessary in the laser-first arm of the study rather than the drops arm of the study. Uh, and that meant that using laser seems to save the NHS money. So it may well be that this will save the NHS millions of pounds per year. So I think that will be of great interest to the uh, commissioners of healthcare, the CCGs, the groups of GPs who pay for the treatments that we all receive. You have specified in this research that it's it's newly diagnosed cases of glaucoma. Does that mean that somebody with an existing glaucoma cannot have this treatment? Uh, not at all. We needed to focus on that aspect of treatment because, well, firstly, I've, we felt that the benefits would probably be greatest for that group. Also, we wanted to have patients who didn't have preconceptions about eye drops or whether to take eye drops or whether eye drops worked. So we really wanted people who were, who were sort of freshly exposed to the idea of treatment so they didn't have any preconceptions. But certainly, SLT has been, has been used and successfully in patients who were already on drops. Some of those patients to avoid the need for further surgery later. Uh, some of those patients so they can use fewer or sometimes even no drops after laser. If we roll out SLT as an offering to anyone who's on glaucoma medication, then I think we will have a significant cost saving for the NHS, not just in terms of cost of drugs, but also in the side effects that some of those medications ca can cause people, both to the eye but also to the whole body, because we forget, a lot of patients and doctors forget that these drugs are being absorbed into the body and have systemic side effects. They can cause sleep disturbance. They can make some, some drugs can make patients sleepy and there are many other things um, of, of more serious nature that can cause problems. In general, and I guess then in laser treatment specifically, what kind of a success rate do you get for this treatment? So within the trial, we saw that three quarters of patients at the end of three years were still controlled without any eye drops. So broadly speaking, you can say that three quarters of patients uh, slightly more if you look at individual eyes, but thinking about the patient, three-quarters of patients uh, were at their target pressure. So that doesn't just mean that it reduced the pressure by 20 or 30%. It means that each individual patient and each individual eye had, had set for it a specific target pressure, a specific pressure that we wanted to reduce their eyeball pressure down to. And we were able to meet that based on how bad their disease was and where they started. We were able to meet that in three quarters of patients. And the majority of those had needed only one laser. Some of them had a, a top-up laser during the study. What's even more exciting, that was a three-year result. What's going to be even more exciting is to see how many of those are still free from medication, drop-free at six years. Uh, and a lot of the patients are now having their second laser at five years after their first treatment. So if their laser can last another five years, and repeat laser seems to do really pretty well, possibly even better, we may be able to buy them a decade without medication. You mentioned that you still have a few years left of the light trial, but what is next for you then? Specifically, I would like to run a big study on uh, non-pressure lowering treatments. It would be very exciting if we can get away from eyeball pressure being the only way of treating glaucoma. There are some exciting developments in that area, certainly 
there are there's a lot of interest being generated in something as simple as certain pre-existing compound supplements that we may be able to take in order to improve the optic nerve health. That's not proven yet. That's going to take another big trial and that's what I'd like to do. So then what other emerging trends in eye research are you most excited about? I think totally across the board, I mean, getting away from glaucoma for a second, there are some very, very exciting things that we only dreamt of a decade ago. The gene transfer work that's been going on uh, and conducted uh, here at Moorfields in collaboration with other sites across the world has actually restored vision to people who previously were wholly untreatable and completely blind. Those are small numbers of patients as it stands at the moment, but I think the transfer of functioning genetic material into an eye that can then produce a missing protein to restore vision is very exciting, not least because that may well be transferable to other aspects of eye care. So there are medicines, compounds in development, which we may be able to transfer into the back of an eye that improve the health of the optic nerve. And it would be very exciting if we could take a a virus vector, it's called, that, that takes that gene that then produces that protein in a very specific localized place within the optic nerve or the back of the eye to really help the health of that nerve and to keep that nerve healthy for longer. So that's probably one of the biggest excitements that are out there. What are the, the biggest challenges for eye research? Most researchers, when asked what, what is the challenge for them, they will reply that getting their funding and their next grant and, and is clearly a, a huge and important part of that. For me, I think the biggest challenge is making sure that the advances that we generate are able to get out to the patient's who will actually benefit, uh, and this doesn't get, it, it doesn't remain stuck in the, either the laboratory or in the preserve of a lucky few. As you you mentioned, the biggest worry for a lot of researchers is getting the funding. <laughs> we know that eye research is massively underfunded; it receives only one percent of of public funding. What do you think we miss out on because it's so underfunded? I think you're quite right that eye research is underfunded. When we look at the number of individuals coming to hospital clinics with eye problems. I think it's the leading outpatient visit across the NHS here in the UK, neck and neck with orthopaedics. It's a huge volume of work and, and one of the commonest surgical procedures is an ophthalmology procedure, removal of cataract. The research lags behind that. I think what we miss out on as a result is, is, is getting to those new treatments as quickly as we otherwise could have. And certainly it's the pace of change which is slowed by that. We also miss out on on being the first to be able to do that here in this country and a lot of very bright and able brains within the UK, unfortunately being lured abroad to perhaps better funded opportunities and research elsewhere. So the work of eye charities here in the UK like Fight for Sight really are incredibly important for making sure that we retain our position as being one of the you know, leading countries for not just medical research, but specifically ophthalmology research. Thank you very much as always for listening to Eye Research Matters. To learn more about our research or to donate to help fund vital research into eye conditions like glaucoma, you can visit our website at fightforsight.org.uk. You can also find us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Fight for Sight UK.